0: You ever wonder, and (laughs) I know know I'm talking primarily to believers, uh, but I mean, you can be honest. I I hope you're always going to be honest, but I don't want to assume too much. You can get in trouble when you do that. And so I'm going to ask this question. Do you ever wonder what you're made for? And maybe you can say, well, of course, I mean, yeah, I'm I'm a Christian, so um, I'm made to praise God. Yes, that's the right answer, right? You were made to worship the Lord. Now, You know, people spend a lot of time thinking about this. We take assessments and we read books. What am I here for? What is my purpose? And again, I can tell you for free, you were made, we were made to do what? To praise the Lord. We were made for this. Negligence of this, rejection of this is at the heart of the fall. Christ came to restore this, and history will end with all of God's creation doing this, namely praising the Lord. So this is the last psalm in the Psalter. And I was talking to a brother today, if you, if you read through the psalms, and I spent several years reading through the psalms monthly. It's a great practice. Uh, five psalms a day, and you'll read through the psalms every month. What you notice is that there's this, Buildup, there's this crescendo, this climax, and here we are in Psalm 150. Praise the Lord, praise God in his sanctuary, praise him in his mighty heavens, praise him for his mighty deeds, praise him according to his excellent greatness, praise him with trumpet sound, praise him with lute and harp, praise him with tambourine and dance. Praise Him with strings and pipe. Praise Him with sounding cymbals. Praise Him with loud clashing cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. And all God's people said, Amen. And praise the Lord. Um, Pastor Dave and I got to go visit Miss Jonette yesterday. And we ended our time with prayer and then reading this psalm. And it was just sweet because you could see her excitement built up. Uh, as again at the end, it says, Praise the Lord and praise the Lord. Um, I'm going to ask you, and I bet you can tell me, what type of psalm is this? It's a praise psalm. That's right. It's a praise psalm. It's the last of five consecutive hallelujah psalms being named thus because they began and they end. With hallelujah, which is translated, praise the Lord. Now, what's most significant is the fact that the Psalms end with this particular psalm. What's being emphasized from start to finish is the call on not only God's people and not only the angelic beings, but all of creation to do what? To praise the Lord. The one who is most worthy by virtue of the fact that he is the creator, by virtue of his character, and by virtue of his deeds. And so, again, if, if you read the Psalms, and if I summarized what are the Psalms, what do they teach us about God? He's the creator. We learn about his actions, he's the rescuer, the savior, and we learn about his character. We could say he's good, he's faithful. He's gracious and merciful. And what is the proper response to all that? Praise. we got to begin with chapter 1. Tonight I'm going to read Psalm 1. All, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I wonder how long that will take. Hours. But I do want to go back to Psalm 1. What's Psalm 1? Remember what kind of psalm that was? It's a Torah or law psalm it highlights the blessing of living life in line with God's Word. So the blessed man is the one who meditates on God's law day and night and rejects the path of the wicked. And yet, law observance by itself cannot be the goal. God's Word, His law, must move us to adoration and praise. And probably the best example of that is Psalm 119 where the psalmist is found praising God for His law, His word. Our obedience must flow from our praise, our gratitude, our joy in the Lord. Obedience, this is important, okay, because it's easy to fall into this trap. Obedience without adoration is legalism. It's relationally void. Obedience with adoration is in keeping with the gospel. It's relational. It's God-honoring. So Psalm 150 begins and ends with a call to praise the Lord. And the verb to praise is found 13 times in Psalm 150. That's a lot. I mean, it's only six verses. On average, that's more than two times per verse, right? This verb praise is found. Now, this is cool. Man, I I'm all about structure, right? I'm all about how 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 is this particular psalm structured, and we saw that really clearly last week. It was really, I mean, who was here last week? Psalm 139. Oh, it was good. Oh, I was so encouraging. Um, psalm 150 answers four questions related to praise. This is really simple, and it's there's this progress. We're going to see this movement from verse one to six, and these are the four questions that are going to be asked and answered in our passage. First is where. Where are we to praise God? That's verse 1. Where do we do it? Where do we praise Him? Verse 2 is why. Why do we praise Him? So where do we praise Him? Why do we praise Him? Verses 3 to 5, the longest section, how do we praise Him? How do we do it? And then last question, verse 6, who praises Him? Who is to praise Him? So where do we praise Him? Why do we do it? How do we do it? And who is supposed to do it? And that's my sermon. Those are the four questions we're going to answer this evening. So, verse 1, where? Verse 1, praise the Lord. Praise God in His sanctuary. Praise Him in His mighty heavens. Now, before we talk about where we are to praise the Lord, I want us to unpack quickly the dominant word found in Psalm 150, which is what? It appears 13 times. Praise. This is the sole response that the psalmist is calling for. And the object of our praise is who? Just as faith has an object, praise has an object, and the object of our praise is the Lord. But what does it mean to praise the Lord? The expression hallelujah, praise the Lord, consists of two Hebrew words. The first is the verb halal, and it means to praise, to boast in to honor and the second is yah which is shorthand for yahweh so praise boast in or honor the lord that's what we're called to do to praise the lord is to boast in him it is to honor him this is who we are this is what we were made for this is the purpose of all creation this is why we exist to do what? To boast in, to praise, and to honor the Lord. And as we've talked about it, I've said this, this has been kind of an ongoing theme in the Psalms. We were made to worship the Lord, and when humanity is not doing what they were made to do, we don't have joy. Because of sin, we have directed our attention toward the creation rather than the Creator. And thankfully, Christ has done something through His life Death and resurrection to rescue us from sin and to restore in God's people our creative purpose, which is to do what? To praise the Lord. John 4, 23 and 24. But the hour is coming, Jesus says, and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. Now, what's significant about the two locations? So again, what's the first question? Where? Where are we to worship the Lord? And what's significant about the two locations mentioned in verse 1? Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. So the first, and if you've been paying attention in Exodus, right, the first his sanctuary is patterned after the ladder, His mighty heavens. The tabernacle and later on the temple were to be seen as an earthly copy or replica of the heavenly temple. So what happened in the tabernacle was to mirror what was happening in heaven. Does that make sense? Hebrews 8.5, I read this on Sunday. They serve a copy and shadow of the heavenly things, talking about the tabernacle. And when Moses was about to erect the tent, he was instructed by God, saying, See that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown you on the mountain. So, on the mountain, when Moses was enveloped by the cloud of glory, Moses was privy to this heavenly reality. And then the tabernacle was then constructed based on what he saw this heavenly reality. Our worship, how we live as God's kingdom people, is to be a reflection of God's kingly rule. What we do, this is going to make sense, what we do as God's gathered people is to mirror what is happening in the Lord's heavenly realm. How did Jesus teach us to pray? Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What we do on Sundays... I mean, this is how Christians should think. This is how the church should think. What we do on Sundays and how we live as God's people in gospel community is to function as a preview of life in God's forever kingdom. Philippians 1.27, only let your manner of life be worthy. The Greek literally says, live as citizens in a manner worthy of the gospel. Citizens of what? Citizens of heaven. Next, Those who gather in these two locations, the tabernacle and God's heavenly throne room, are committed worshipers. Now, this is an important point. The sanctuary was God's set-apart place of worship for his set-apart people, Israel. His mighty heavens refer to the holy dwelling place of the Lord. Here, in the heavenly temple of the Lord, angelic beings surround the Almighty. And what are they doing? They're praising Him. So what's happening there needs to be happening here with God's people. Amen? Isaiah 6. I mean, This is just good to read. Isaiah 6, 1-3. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up. And the train of His robe filled the temple. Above Him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two He covered His face. With two He covered His feet. And with two He flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. Furthermore, we see, now this is the point of verse 1. Where? Where is God to be praised? Where? Everywhere. everywhere. Amen. Right? Everywhere. Praise is to happen everywhere, both on the earth, in the Lord's sanctuary, His set-apart space, and in the heavenly realm with the angels. Why is this? Why is God to be praised everywhere? Because God is everywhere, and he made everything. That's in your notes. Because God is everywhere, and he has made everything. As Derek Kidner writes, his glory, this is such a good quote. I'd write this down. Did I put this in your notes, Derek Kidner? Write this down. This is really helpful. Derek Kidner wrote, his glory, God's glory fills the universe His praise must do no less. Oh, God's glory, His glory fills the universe. His praise must do no less. The idea is that wherever God may be found, we must do what? We must praise Him. This call to praise the Lord is far-reaching. The psalmist is calling those on earth and those in heaven to do what? Praise Him. This echoes what we hear in the Great Commission. How does it begin? How does the Great Commission begin? All authority, where? In heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go make what? Disciples of what? All nations, so that people everywhere might be doing what? Praising the Lord. What is the primary motivation for missions? Should we love the lost? Yes, but more than that, we should want God's glory to resound across his world. Amen? That is the greater motivation for missions. We want people everywhere to praise the God who is everywhere and worthy of all praise. The Lord means to be worshipped everywhere because he has authority everywhere. <laughs> And again, what we're going to see in our final point. I'm going to come back to this. I'm going to talk about this. This is kind of my theology of missions. This is why we do missions. We want to see God praised everywhere. Everywhere. That's God's heart. Think about it this way. That's where history is moving. Read Habakkuk. Read Isaiah. One day, God's glory is going to cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. He is going to be praised everywhere. Let's come back to the sanctuary which we'll do that again on Sunday. Thankfully, I'm so thankful. I'm reading, Le- I'm doing the Bible in a year right now. I'm in Leviticus and I love Leviticus. And that may surprise you. I love Leviticus. It's one of my favorite books in the Old Testament. And here's why. <laughs> I'm so thankful when I'm in Leviticus that we don't have to do what Leviticus prescribes. I'm so thankful for the gospel. I'm thankful for God's grace in Leviticus. He provided a way for God's people to be atoned for. But now that Christ has come, we don't have to slaughter animals. Now, I do that on my own for meat. But what I'm saying is, that was a joke, but I really do. What I'm saying is, we don't have to depend on the blood of bulls and goats. Constantly. Annually. Right? We can depend on the once and for all sacrifice of Jesus. And that's why I started weeping on Sunday. Because you, you saw in Genesis, it is finished. In Exodus, it is finished. In John's Gospel, it is finished. It is. That was the definitive, it is finished. Oh! So I love Leviticus. I love what it teaches about God, His character, our need, but it also points to the once and for all sacrifice, Jesus. So back to the sanctuary. Again, thankfully, we no longer have to travel long distances to a central location, a temple, to worship today because of the work of Christ and the giving of the the Holy Spirit. Wherever God's people are gathered, we can do what, Chris? We can worship. The church is the temple indwelt by the Spirit of God. This call to worship is for God's church today. We must regularly gather as God's church, His Spirit-filled church, to do what? To praise God. I mean, again, if, if someone asks you, so what do you Christians do? Like what? What are you? What are you guys up to on Sundays? I, mean, I see a lot of cars and trucks in the parking. Like what, man? What are y'all doing? What do we say? We're praising the Lord. That is our vocation to praise the Lord. That's what was forfeited at the fall. That's what's been restored in Christ. And all God's people said, "Amen." All right. So why? Where? Everywhere. Where do we praise Him, friends? Everywhere. Wherever the church is gathered, He is to be praised. And the church is to be found where? Everywhere, that's the great commission. But maybe a more important question is why? Because hopefully, if you have that conversation with a coworker, "Hey, I see that like, you know, we get together on Sunday mornings and you can't come because you say you go to church." What are you doing? We're praising the Lord. The next question might be, "Why are you doing that?" I hope you have a good answer. <laughs> you should. So why? Verse 2. Praise Him for His mighty deeds. Praise Him according to His excellent greatness. So, why do we praise the Lord? This is in your notes. We praise Him for what He's done and for who He is. We praise Him for what He's done and for who He is. And those two are related. We know who He is because of what He's done. Amen? We know Him by His works. He's the Creator. He's all-powerful. He's the Savior. He's gracious. Amen? The psalmist begins by saying, praise Him for His mighty deeds. His mighty deeds here refer to His mighty works, specifically His saving works. One thinks of the Exodus. Psalm 145, verse 4, one generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. Okay, so Israel, whenever the people gathered, what did they do? Well, they praised the Lord. But think about their celebrations, their special meals, their festivals. They all revolved around the Exodus, God's rescue on their behalf, the provision of the Passover lamb, right? They celebrated God as their rescuer, their Savior. And as Christians we are beneficiaries of a greater exodus, a greater act of rescue, the cross of Jesus Christ. Amen? Oh! And what do we do when we gather? We praise Him for His mighty works. Why do we take the Lord's Supper? Let me just read it. This is 1 Corinthians 11, 25 and 26. In the same way also He took the cup. This is Paul writing. He took the cup after supper, saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. When the church gathers to take the Lord's Supper, we are remembering His great work, His cross. Amen? Why do we praise Him, church? Because of what He's done. He gave His life. It's His sacrifice. On behalf of good people? No, on behalf of sinners. The Hebrew word here for greatness is govel. And that's the second part of verse 2. Praise Him for His mighty deeds. Praise Him according to His govel. His magnificence. His greatness. Exodus 15-16 Terror and dread fall upon them because... Of the greatness of your arm, they are still as a stone. Here it's used, this word gavell is used to describe God's greatness seen in His work of rescue. How do we know God's great? How did Israel know God was great? Because they witnessed His rescue. Amen? His greatness, was His magnificence was on display through His saving work. And then you go to Numbers 14.19. Please, Pardon the iniquity of this people according to the greatness of your chesed, your steadfast love, just as you have forgiven this people from Egypt until now. Here, it's the same word, gathel. It's used to describe the greatness of God's grace. One could argue that His excellent greatness is revealed by His mighty deeds. How do we know that God is good and Loving and faithful because of what he's done. Amen? Again, when someone says, man, that guy is sure swell, none of us talk that way anymore, but that's a good man right there. It's a good man, Charlie Brown. Why do we say that? Why do we say so-and-so is a good husband? Because we've witnessed it. We've seen how he cares for his children and provides for them and spends time with them. No one would say that of someone who visibly abuses their children. We wouldn't say that. We say they're a good husband and a good father because they take care of their family. Man, that guy's sure a hard worker. He falls asleep at the computer. No, why do we say he's a hard worker? Because it's seen. He's a man of integrity. It's seen. How do we know that God is magnificent? That He's great because it's seen in what He's done. Does that make sense? This is when worship begins. It's when we realize who God is and what he's done. When we preach the gospel. This is what we're seeking to communicate. Why? Because we want to see people become. worshipers of the one true God. I'm reminded of Pentecost. In Acts 2. What were the disciples declaring. When the spirit of God fell upon them. You remember. What the text says. Acts 2.11. We hear them. Telling in our own tongues. The mighty works of God. What do you think they were saying? I can tell you what they were saying. They were preaching the gospel. Amen? They were preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. They were telling the the story of God's rescue through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. Verse 2 of Psalm 150 applies to the gospel. The gospel declares God's grace, mercy, and love seen through the cross of Jesus Christ. This, the mightiest of deeds, declares His greatness. So again... Praise him for his mighty deeds. But what do we know about God through his mighty deeds? His mighty character, right? Because God is a God of rescue, we know he's gracious, merciful, and loving. And because of that, we do what? We praise him. When you neglect, and you're here, (laughs) but when you neglect to meet with God's people every Lord's Day, and this is not the Lord's Day, this is Wednesday, You know, we we do this, and I I love gathering on Wednesdays. I'm so thankful that we do that. We're called to gather on the Lord's Day, but if you neglect that, what what are you doing? You're neglecting your highest calling. You're you're neglecting what you were, in fact, saved for. You were saved for His glory, and we glorify Him by gathering with His people to praise Him. Amen? So don't neglect that. Don't, Don't neglect your highest calling, which is to praise the Lord with His people. So we've answered where? We've answered why, how. That's number three. How do we praise Him? Verses three to five, and this is the longest section. And you got a bunch of instruments. I don't play any of these. Let me see, actually. I can play the tambourine. I can get down with the tambourine. I can play the djembe. I don't, that's not here, but maybe clashing cymbals, I don't know. Praise Him with trumpet sound. Praise Him with lute and harp. Praise him with tambourine and dance. Praise him with strings and pipe. Praise him with sounding cymbals. Praise him with loud clashing cymbals. So, verses 3 to 5 answer the question by what means are we to praise the Lord? This is the answer in your notes by all means necessary. <laughs> by all means necessary. This is helpful. Um, this is uh, John Goldengay. John Goldengay is a conservative Old Testament scholar, and he wrote three-volume commentary on the Psalms. It's like over 2,000 pages. Can you imagine that? That's a lot of work. It took him years. But he really gets into the historical background. This is helpful, because again, a lot of these instruments we're not really familiar with. Um, when was the last time he played the lute, or the harp even? He says, These verses include instruments that belong more in temple worship and those that belong more outside it. Every means is summoned to magnify Yahweh. They include, and this is really helpful. So every, every instrument is called for to magnify the Lord. I mean, gather all the instruments. We're going we're to make a beautiful sound to the Lord, but listen to this. They include instruments that will be played by priests, the horn, by Levites, harp, lyre, cymbals, and by laypeople, tambourine, strings, and pipe. Everybody's called to gather. Everybody to praise the Lord with every means available. Why? Because he's what? He's worthy. Amen? Uh, John Calvin. Let's let's look at what Calvin said about this. The psalmist, therefore, in exhorting believers to pour forth all their joy and the praise of God enumerates one upon another all the musical instruments which were then in use and reminds them that they ought all to be consecrated to the worship of God. He's saying set apart every instrument for the worship of God because he's what? He's worthy. And not only with our voices, but with what our hands have made. We are to praise him in multiple ways and for multiple reasons. In verse 4, we read that God's people were called to praise him with tambourine and dance. And this is from a Puritan, surprisingly. This is Plumer. He writes, dancing expresses a high degree of joy. I'm a dancer. I'm not going to lie. We have dance parties at my house and my little daughter. I love to dance with my kids. Dancing had a rich history in Israelite life. Can you remember when they danced? When did they dance? Say it again. I heard it. The Red Sea. That was their expression of worship to God for His great act of rescue. Amen? So Exodus 15, 20. Then Miriam the prophetess, the sister of Aaron, took a tambourine in her hand, and all the women went out after her with tambourines and dancing. And then think about David and Goliath. This is right after David and Goliath. 1 Samuel 18.6 As they were coming home, when David returned from striking down the Philistine, the women came out of all the cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines, with songs of joy, and with musical instruments. Again, dancing, especially in this culture, was an appropriate means of celebration, praise, and worship. The, the main takeaway from verses 3 to 5 is that we are called to praise the Lord with every available means. This is, man, this is so good. These verses paint a picture of a varied people with varied gifts gathering to praise the Lord. What a beautiful picture of God's church today. Right? I mean, you look around, we're all different. but We're all called to use our gifts to do what? The same thing, which is to do what? To praise the Lord. We're all different parts of the body. You may be a thumb or an elbow or an eyeball or a nose, but we're all called together and to use the gifts God has given us for His praise. Because He's what? He's worthy. He's worthy. Who? Who? Verse 6. Who is to praise the Lord? Everyone. Everything that has breath. That's pretty exhaustive, right? Verse 6, let everything that has breath praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Here the psalmist appears to move beyond verse 1. Not just God's people and the angelic beings in heaven above, but everything that has breath, every living thing. This is seen in Psalm 148. So if you want to go back and read this with me, Psalm 148, verses 7 to 12. We're almost done. We have time by the way. We're not close. I mean we're I'm close to being done, but we're not close to running out of time. Psalm 148 7 to 12. Praise the Lord from the earth. Praise him, large sea creatures and all the ocean depths. Lightning and hail, snow and fog, strong winds that obey his commands. Mountains and all hills, fruit trees and all cedar trees. Wild animals and all domestic animals. Crawling animals and birds. Kings of the earth and all its people. Officials and all judges on the earth. Young men and women. Old and young together. That's pretty exhaustive. Everything that has breath is called to do what? Praise the Lord. Now, here's the problem. We look around today and not every living thing is doing what? Praising the Lord, right? Specifically, especially the crown of God's creation, who? Man, his image bearers. It seems that everything else in this is so frustrating. Everything else in creation is doing what it's supposed to do. The trees are growing. The stars are twinkling. The sun is shining. The fish are swimming, the deer are running, but God's image bearers, men and women, continue to reject the Lord as king. And this should make us both angry and sad. Angry because many have turned to idolatry, worshiping the creation rather than the creator. Assuming the place of king and rejecting the true king, Jesus Christ, and sad Because it reveals the sad state of so many. Lost, without Jesus, and headed to hell. This final verse should move us to do what? To evangelize. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Friends, we look around today and it's obvious that not everything that has breath, specifically God's image bearers, are doing what? Praising the Lord. This verse should move us to outreach, both local and global. This call for everything that has breath to praise the Lord should motivate missions. What should motivate our evangelism? It should be a desire to see the lost turned into worshipers, rebels shaking their fists at God, turned into worshipers raising their hands to God. This amounts to God's glory, but how so? Because when God's creation is doing what it was made to do, God is glorified. Amen? Now because of sin, we've chosen to worship creation, other things, ourselves, instead of the one true God. Only by trusting in Jesus can we become what we were made to be. And what is that? Worshippers of the one true God. Only by trusting in Jesus can we become true worshipers of God. Jesus came to make us what? True worshipers. Amen? And we become true worshipers, what happens? God gets the what? He gets the glory. Our concern for God's glory should move us to evangelize the lost. Again, yes, when we tell the gospel to unbelievers, it should be motivated by love for unbelievers. I mean, I love in Mark 10... You know, Jesus has a discussion with this rich young ruler, and at one point in the text it says Jesus looked at him and loved him. You're like, wow, I mean, Jesus loves the lost. Amen? But what should be our primary motivation for evangelism? The glory of God. I put this in your notes. More conversions equals what? More worshipers and thus more glory to God. Think of it, right? I mean, why do we go to the nations? Because when a people group stop worshiping idols and start worshiping the one true God revealed in Jesus Christ, what happens? God gets glory. Amen? Man, I, I was at uh, Together for the Gospel uh, maybe 2016? It's like 12,000 men gathered together in a coliseum praising God and just hearing those voices now, do you think any of us would say, oh, that's too many? No more. No, we, we want to see voices added to that. Amen? Because it makes an even greater sound. You see what I'm saying? Don't you want to add to that, that music, that sound, that praise? That's why we tell people the good news. Amen? We want to see more voices added, more voices united In praising God. Because again, more conversions equals more worshipers equals more glory to God. You know, the climax of the Psalms, Psalm 150, corresponds with the climax of history. The Scriptures look ahead to the day when all will acknowledge Jesus as King. When every living thing will praise the Lord. When the knowledge of God will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. Revelation 5.13 I heard every creature in heaven on earth, under the earth, and on the sea. Every creature in those places was singing to the one who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise, honor, glory, and power forever and ever. Amen. Oh, Isaiah 11.9 For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Revelation 7-9 After this I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the Lamb clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. Doing what? Praising the Lord. Philippians 2 10-11, to so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now you have to realize this, that day is going to come and and one day every single person is going to acknowledge what we acknowledge now but for many it's going to be too late. It's going to be too late. They'll acknowledge it, they'll see it, but it'll be too late for them. One final observation concerning verse 6. Everything that has breath has breath. Why? But why does it have breath? See it? Because God gave it breath. Who gave us breath? God gave us breath. Right. Therefore, everything that has breath belongs to who? Belongs to God, the creator, the life giver. We must therefore use that life, that breath, to do what? To praise God. With each breath, a gift from God, we praise God. That's good stewardship, right? I mean, every breath we take is from the Lord, the life giver. And I want to steward those breaths well. And the way we do that is by praising him, by living for his glory and honor. When we praise God, we were doing what we were made to do. Are you praising God, the Creator, with each and every breath? Singing His praises, speaking His Word, telling the Gospel to others, speaking kind words to your neighbors, encouraging brothers and sisters in Christ, calling brothers and sisters in Christ away from sin, instructing children, complimenting your bride. These are all ways that we can sanctify our breath for the glory of God. Amen. What's being communicated about God in Psalm 150, verse 6, is that everything that has breath is being commanded to praise the Lord. But why? Why, why? why should everything that has breath praise the Lord? Why? Everything? I mean, every living thing? Why? I've been saying it over and over, and I hope you've caught it, because he is worthy because he's worthy because there's that is what this imperative communicates about god i mean why why call everything why command everything that has breath everything it's a big world to praise the lord because he's worthy because there's no one greater great people deserve praise adoration accolades but there's no one greater than god is there he's the greatest Therefore, he deserves praise from everything. Every living thing belongs to him. And therefore, every living thing's duty is to praise him. This psalm truly accentuates the glory, majesty, and greatness of God. A final word on praise. I hope you realize that praise is more than just singing, right? Worship is more than just singing. Oftentimes we'll say, me, I sure loved worship today. Well, what, what part? What aspect of worship? It was all worship, right? I mean, when we gather, when we sing and pray and hear the word and preach the word, it's all worship. And then when we go and gather in homes to encourage each other, it's worship. And when we go and share the gospel with coworkers, it's worship. And then when we sit down with our families around the table and open up the Bible, it's what? It's, it's worship. Praise is more than just singing, playing instruments, and dancing joyfully before the Lord. It amounts to living the totality of our lives before God for His glory. Doing everything for His fame. It's living as His kingdom people. Loving God and others. Serving others. Using our gifts for His glory. Loving our wives, husbands, the way Christ loves the church. Teaching our kids the word of God. Romans 12:1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your what? Spiritual or your logical. Logikos, your logical, your reasonable worship. It makes sense that because of what he's done, we would give him our very lives. Amen? I love 1 Corinthians 10.31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. So let's be committed to doing now both what we were made for and what we'll be doing for all eternity. Don't be of the mindset, oh yeah, you know, that praise stuff, I'll, I'll get to that in heaven. No, do it now. If that's your attitude, I don't think you're going. <laughs> I, I don't. I, I mean, you've heard people, I'll, I'll, I'll get right with God and I'll, I'll focus on God at the end. Well, you're not guaranteed the end. If that's your attitude, you obviously don't treasure him supremely. May we now, as God's people, be committed to praising him with every available means, both personally and as we gather together as God's people. How does Psalm 150 point to Christ in the gospel? That's a big question. Well, as as I mentioned before, what was lost at the fall? What was forfeited at the fall? Our, Our creative purpose, right? To worship God. Adam and Eve chose themselves over God, right? I mean, Satan said, you can be just like God. Basically, you can be God. You can be the top dog. And we've all bought into that lie. We forfeited our creative purpose at the fall, but Christ came to do what? He came to restore our creative purpose, which is to worship God in spirit and in truth. Christ came for the world. He came to bring people from every tribe, tongue, and nation into God's family so that God's praises will be heard where? Everywhere. Everywhere. And when Christ returns, every living thing will recognize him as Lord. Again, although for many it will be too late. You know, the Psalms calls us to do what? What do the Psalms move us to do? What is the appropriate response to the Psalms? Praise. Because in the Psalms, we learn that, and I'm summarizing all 150, in the Psalms, we learn that God comforts the herding, shepherds his people, rescues the lost, and cares for his own. And the Psalms point to Christ. I mean, Jesus says that in Luke 24. The Psalms point to Christ, who is the great comforter, the great shepherd the great rescuer and caregiver. And praise is the appropriate response to Jesus, the one the Psalms point to. Praise is the proper response to the Psalms. Some important questions to ponder, and then I'm going to pray. How often do you praise the Lord? How often do you praise the Lord? How often do you consider His character, who He is, and His deeds, what He's done? Number two do you regularly gather with God's people every Lord's day to praise the Lord? This is what we've been saved for. Again, the the picture in Revelation is not of a bunch of individuals serving and worshiping God, but of a gathered body of brothers and sisters in Christ praising the Lord together. What we do now is a preview of what's to come. Amen? And number three, and I hope this encourages and challenges all of us, What are you currently doing to help others praise the Lord, both locally and globally? God's heart's for the nations, amen? What are you doing to help others praise the Lord? Again, not everyone is doing what they were made to do. That should make us angry and sad, but it, it should also move us to action. What are you doing right now to call unbelievers away from their sin, to trust in Jesus and to have their created purpose restored, which is to worship God in spirit and in truth? Do you guys remember the 1-4-P challenge? Find one person in your relational world. It could be a, a coworker, a classmate, a friend, a neighbor. Commit to four Ps. Start praying for them. Start planning how you're going to engage them. Make sure that you're practicing the gospel before them, living as a Christian before them. And then finally, the, the fourth P, the hardest P, you've got to proclaim the good news to them. So, pray, plan, practice, and proclaim. Well, let's pray. How might we pray Psalm 150? This is what it might sound like. Verse 1. And I did each of the sections. Again, first section's where. Second is why. Third is how. And fourth is who. Verse 1. Father, help us to praise you wherever we are. Help us to praise you in our homes, our places of work, our schools, and with your gathered church. May praise of you be the primary description of our lives. May your gathered church across the globe give you praise so that praise of you is heard all over the world. Verse 2, we praise you for what you've done and who you are. We praise you for the gospel of Jesus Christ and what it reveals about you. You are holy, good, faithful, gracious, loving, and awesome. In verses 3-5, to may we praise you with every available means possible. May we praise you with the gifts you've given us by using them to serve your church. And we praise you in and through all of our relationships. In verse 6, we pray for the lost in our lives, that God, in your grace, may you move them to trust in Jesus and turn from sin, so that they will be heard singing your praises. Help us to do what you've called us to do, to praise your name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.